Welcome to Answer the Call. I'm your host and go-to career coach, Kelsey Kemp. You're tuning in to the Job Library series, which is a bingeable collection of to-the-point interviews with a vast variety of professionals to help you gain the exposure and the detailed info you need to find a career path that you'll love. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Maggie Bailey, the owner and creative director of Bramble and Bee, a floral design studio based in Tomball, Texas, outside of Houston, specializing in bespoke garden style floral arrangements. You will have to go follow them on Instagram at Bramble and Bee, and you'll be amazed. I love looking at all their floral inspo. I had the joy of working with Maggie when she was a manager and I was a sales associate at Anthropology during our days in retail over eight years ago. So crazy to imagine. But let me just tell you right off the bat, whether or not you picture yourself going into floral design, this episode is jam-packed with practical wisdom for anyone who is even remotely interested in starting a small business of any kind one day. You'll find Maggie's story captivating and inspiring. I mean, it is truly hard to believe (laughs) how her path from majoring in kinesiology and exercise science led to working in retail, which led to um, joining a church, which she started to volunteer to make a few floral arrangements just because she wanted to build a friendship with someone. And that all sparked an idea that became an extremely successful floral design studio that's been going strong for seven years and counting. I loved what I got to learn from her about how to break into a new industry, network effectively, and build business from the ground up, harmoniously leading it alongside a partner, which Maggie does with her charming English husband, Mick, who joined Bramble and Bee full-time as a co-owner and operations director. I could rave on about this episode forever, but I'll leave it to you to hear the good stuff for yourself. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Maggie Bailey. Maggie, thank you so much for being here to share about your experience in the wonderful world of floral design slash floristry. I know that I just queued up that question before we started recording and I need to ask you the exact difference on that. But the fact of the matter is you have your own floral design shop and you're the business owner and lead designer. And I've been so just in full admiration of what you've built over the years in this. And I'm very excited to hear your perspective. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited. Woo! I mean, I always like kicking it off with a little early career background. College is a cool place to start with that. Would love to know when you graduated college and what your major was in. Sure. So I graduated college in 2009. Um, I went to a teensy little liberal arts college in California called Westmont, and I graduated with a kinesiology degree and a psychology minor, and I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a physical therapist. And so if you want to be a physical therapist, the next step is our graduate school. Mm-hmm. And I, that's, I actually took a year off in between college and applying for graduate school, and I moved to New England because I have always had a kind of soft spot in my heart for people with with disabilities of varying degrees, um, specifically the community of people with Down syndrome. And I read a book in college called In the Name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen, which is, just, it's still one of my all-time favorite books. And the book is not specifically about this particular community, but in it, Henry Nouwen, the author, 
um, lived and worked in a community that's kind of an alternative for group homes called Larche. It's French. I do not speak French, so I've killed that name. Um, but basically, I'm, I graduated college, did a gap year, and moved to Boston and lived in a community um, where I had three roommates with Down syndrome and four roommates without. Wow. And I did that year as a living assistant before I came back to Texas, where my family is originally from, to apply for graduate school. I did not get into graduate school. <laughs> plot twist. Yeah, plot twist. Oh my gosh. This is yeah. just my favorite part of the story. Always when I get to hear people's uh, sometimes linear, most times yeah. not. That's where it gets really exciting hearing about yeah. the twists and the turns and how it all ended up great anyway. But yeah. okay, walk us through what happened from there. Grad school did not, those plans did not come to pass. Yeah, they did so not. So, like, come to how pass. did you? why how did you get here today <laughs> yeah so um i a little bit of backstory kelsey and i know each other because we worked together in anthropology many moons yeah. ago. like eight and, years ago <laughs> yeah and anthropology i worked there a number of times over the years um there they were always kind of my like my safe place so when i didn't know what was going on in my life and i didn't know where i was gonna go next or i just had a weird interim spot i knew i could go back to anthropology it was consistent, familiar. They knew me. So it was income and a place that I enjoyed spending time. So I was working at anthropology while applying for graduate schools. That turned into three years of working at anthropology and applying for graduate schools. And then I decided to stop applying for graduate schools, but I didn't really know what I was going to do if I wasn't doing physical therapy. Um, and I feel like it's an interesting point to know that like up until literally up until I kept getting denied graduate programs, I had such a like blessed childhood that I had never experienced rejection. So I did really well at, in school. I graduated like number three in my class. I got into the college I wanted to go to. I graduated with honors from college. I any, any job I'd ever applied for up until that point. I mean, they weren't like serious jobs, but you know, as a young adult applying for jobs, most people experience rejection. I had never not gotten anything that I'd applied for. So Damn. I had no experience with rejection until I couldn't get into graduate school. And because the entirety of my life had gone exactly according to plan up until I didn't get into graduate school, I was like, well, I don't know now, like, what do you mean? This is not what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. What? What? My <laughs> yeah. plan's not happening? What? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I kept getting people, like my parents and people at church being like, well, you know, if God's closing a door, and I was like, right, but there's no doors opening. <laughs> yeah. He's just making me stand in the room. And I don't know, I don't know what window or door I should be looking for. So I'm working in anthropology. Um, I had started going to a really cute little church and there was a woman that I really wanted to be friends with at church and she was in charge of the flower ministry that kind of, you know, does the flower arrangements for Christmas and Easter and if anyone gets married in the church, they'll offer to do flowers at cost. Um, and so I volunteered to help her because I wanted to become friends with her. So I signed up to do flower ministry and over the course of about a year, we did like two or three little weddings at the church and then Christmas and Easter and that kind of thing. And I realized that I, that flowers were really interesting. And I did not know that there was an industry around flowers. Like I was familiar with flower shops, but none of the, none of the stuff that flower shops 
were designing was anything that I was remotely interested in getting or receiving. So, eh, you know, never had a, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I was helping her and she is a self-taught florist. She never had a business. Well, she did kind of have a business, but never a like full-time gig. She just always kind of had this little side hustle because she liked flowers and she was good at them. So she taught me everything she knew. And I was recently married, hated the fact that I was working a retail job while trying to be a newlywed because my days off were usually Tuesday, Wednesday. And I did a lot of closing shifts and a lot of very early opening shifts. And my husband worked a normal person job, like nine to five, Monday through Friday. So we weren't seeing each other very often and very rarely had like full days off. So in the back of my head, I was like, all right, all right, flowers. If I could do a wedding a month-ish, it would be about the same in terms of income if I hit this price point and I could go part-time working retail so that I just have more time. I'd be more in control of my schedule. I could take weekends and holidays off. I could do all of this. Little did I know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I one day, it was actually right before Christmas, so I know that the people of anthropology will probably never have me back because I put my two weeks in, like, going into a holiday season. The worst time. <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, hey guys, it's December 1st. Just so you know, I am going to become a florist, so I know uh, this is my two weeks. Well, so let me clarify. That was the worst time for them, for you to quit. Yeah, that was the best time for you to quit. <laughs> absolutely the best time. Yeah. My husband um, is from the UK originally and has a son from his first marriage who still lives there. And so at Christmas, it's very important to us to be able to go across and spend the holidays with his son, um, who he shares custody with. So it's not possible for him to come here. We go there. It's very important. And with my retail job, there was no possible way we could do that. You just, you cannot leave a no. retail, yeah, a retail job, especially as a manager like I was for two weeks at Christmas. It's not, yeah. it's unheard of. Um, so yeah, put my two weeks in, uh, declared myself a florist and I had a couple of friends who were working wedding industry jobs. So a wedding planner, a photographer, and I sent them a text and was like, Hey guys, just, so you know, I'm a florist now I do wedding flowers. And they were like, okay, great. And started sending me referrals, which is ridiculous. Like I, I feel like it needs to be reiterated. I had no formal training, like no formal training. I did a class in high school because I had to, to get my agriculture credit in, and I wasn't going to do FFA. Um, and then the year that I spent with the church ladies doing flowers, um, and then all the people I followed on Instagram, and that's, that's all I knew about flowers. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's yeah. just so crazy. I think just, well, first, I just see God's graciousness to reveal this, what would be such an amazing career option for you just through funny things like I want to be this chick's friend she's doing flowers I'm enjoying her and that goes into a point that I found really interesting about natural talents because I mean if anyone just looks you up on Instagram or your website obviously besides just metric business success like we'll see that you are so talented at floral design but the thing about talents is you could have plenty of them lying dormant they're not yeah. revealed until you stumble upon the task that they align with. A hundred percent. So cool that. Considered myself artistic or artsy. Like I cannot paint. I can't, uh, you know, I took a class in charcoal drawing, but like, I'm not a natural, not a natural artist in the traditional sense, what you think of when you think of art. But 
it just turns out that you have to find your medium and my medium is flowers. Oh my goodness. So tell us about how long you've had your own shop and where you're at and what you guys specialize in. Sure. So we have been in business um, six and a half years now. And when we first started out, I say we, cause there's always, I mean, I'm the, my face is on the website, but there's always a team involved in, in any capacity. Um, so yeah, I started uh, just doing weddings out of my house. The goal was one a month. And for some miraculous reason, we succeeded in doing one a month in the first year. Um, yeah, just started designing out of my house. And then after about a year of that, my husband was like, right, I like eating at my kitchen table sometimes. And I like using my shower when it's not full of plants. So can we move this operation somewhere else? Cause clearly you're still doing it. So let's go get you a, let's go find you a space. So I moved into a space, um, that was 200 square feet. It was very cute and Instagrammable. And I think that's why I went for it. But practically speaking, it was not very cute or, <laughs> or practical at all. Um, yeah, so we were trying to do like one or two weddings a week, most mm. weeks in the busy week, in the busy months, out of 200 square feet, which is basically a walk-in closet with the sink. Um, so that lasted about a year and maybe a year and a half-ish. And when we were looking for a studio upgrade, um, we were looking for square footage and we found a building a little bit outside of downtown Houston. So yeah, I'm in Houston or the Houston suburbs and the suburb we've landed in is called Tomball. So it's about 20 minutes into Houston, 20 minutes to the north in Montgomery where a lot of wedding venues are. And we were driving back and forth between the two places, stopping off in Tomball for Mexican food on our way and found this building, which is 2000 square feet. And it also has a storefront. So we moved in here for the space, and then because we have the capabilities now, we added retail flowers to our list. Initially, we were just doing weddings and events, and now we do retail during the week and weddings and events on the weekends. Weddings and events are still the main gig. We still do prim our primary business is that, but yeah, now we deliver anywhere from, you know, five to 20 bouquets a day into wow. an area, yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so cool. And it's just been so inspiring for me personally to see like over these eight years since we had the joy of being together at Anthropology, you know, in our retail days, what character <laughs> building stuff, just yep. to see you build this and create something that is so unique. Your designs are just so like, who would think of that just besides you? Like, it's so, so unique to me um, anyway, but uh, would love to get clarity on the floral design versus floristry or yeah. anything like that. Because I started to Google it. And I was like, mm, would love to ask the expert. Yeah. So I personally think that the terms are interchangeable. Like floral designer, florist, floristry in general. Floristry is a term you hear mostly like in the UK and in Europe. Because they actually, in order to be a florist, you do not need any sort of educational background. You can, you know, if you have an eye for design and you have access to flowers, you can be a florist in the United States, uh, which will answer more questions down the line, I'm sure. But in the UK, I, I, it is my understanding, I think you can start a floral design business, but the majority of people who do go to, it's not, it's not really a university degree. They have what's called college, which is like mm -hmm. after you finish what would be the equivalent of high school, 
you go to college, which either prepares you for a trade or to go into actual university. And Is so that you like sixth form? I've heard it called. Yes. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so they have a floristry program and you graduate with like credentials to be a florist. Um, the beneficial thing about something like that is that you get a business, you get business as well as design. Whereas if you just declare yourself a florist, you don't really have any idea what you're doing unless you had a business background to begin with, which I did not. <laughs> you have to apply the American spirit yeah. of just trying it out. <laughs> but in the U.S., of the terms florist and floral designer, a lot of times um, floral people who consider themselves floral designers don't like the term florist because they think it kind of describes the more traditional, like, I hate using grocery store florist, but like the type of style and design that you get that's created by someone who's working in one of those settings. Not to say that it isn't beautiful, because I think there's something for everybody, but it's, it's a more kind of old school way of designing and running a business. And then floral designers are like, wait, but look what we can create with flowers. Mm -hmm. They like, you know, they apply it as more of a like artistic title. Yeah. I, it works. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I own a flower shop, so technically I am a florist. Mm -hmm. And I have always loved a little bit of a retro nod, so I kind of like being called a florist. Floral designer, it is totally fine too. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. So, what are the different kind of specialties or avenues that you can pursue if you would like a career dealing with flowers, I will yeah. say, like just a, the vast variety, um, yeah. if there is some, like what is Yeah. It? So again, when I declared myself a florist, I only knew this one thing. I only knew that people could be, you could do wedding flowers without having any sort of degree or space that you worked in. You could just buy flowers, take them home, arrange them, and deliver them to a wedding. I knew you could do that. So that's what I d decided to do. Um, you can work in a flower shop, whether you own the flower shop or work as a designer. And that just means you show up every day. You've got a list of orders that you have to make that are going to get delivered. And you make those. You make those. Sometimes you're involved in picking the flowers. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you just make whatever is on your list of things to make for the day. Um, then you have freelance florists, which again, I didn't even know this was a thing, but there are a number of insanely talented floral designers who don't own their own businesses, don't work in any one particular space, but are freelance. So they travel the world working for whoever has the biggest event that needs all the hands and needs like super talented people on their team. Um, so yeah, we use freelancers in our, in our business almost every week. Whoa. Is, yeah. Instead of keeping a full staff of people, because our needs vary week to week, whether we have a really big wedding or no wedding. If we have a really big wedding, we might need five or six additional employees. And rather than keep everybody on staff, even in the low season, we use freelancers. So yeah, freelance florists are insanely awesome. Um, there's also a, a huge industry in wholesale flowers. So the process of getting flowers from the people who grow them to the people who design with them is insanely complicated and is a whole nother podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> But there's a middleman, so the person who's buying from the farm to distribute to the flat, the florist. Mm -hmm. And they're insanely important because I don't have to, I know what I want, but I couldn't tell you where I need to get it from. I know that I need a rose that's exactly this perfect shade of mauve. Uh, and my wholesaler is the one who's like, yep, got it. I'll find it. Don't worry. 
So, wow. yeah. That just seems, yeah, like such a, now it's so funny. Earlier when we were catching up before uh, I started recording, I was telling you, well, I ended up majoring in supply chain management in college, didn't use it a day in my life. Now I'm like, wait, hold up. That seems like the ultimate supply chain logistics <laughs> mastery situation, learning how to source from some random farm in, I don't know where, Brazil to get that perfect shade of mauve and then delivering it while they're still fresh for the event that's needed to the florist and all the middlemen that are involved in that. That's so fascinating. It is absolutely crazy. And then, I mean, also within the floral design industry, you can break down specialties too. So I specialize in weddings and events. Some people specialize in editorial. So like when Vogue does a shoot, there's a florist that they usually work with or that they will often work with because they know but doing editorial flowers is completely different from doing wedding flowers and the way that you design and all of that. Some people will do corporate flowers, only do corporate events and, you know, major, you know, the VMAs or something like that. That's a whole different ballgame to a wedding. So there's all different avenues once you're in floral design that you can, you can choose what outlets you want to participate in. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. So fascinating. Yeah to learn about this. If somebody um, already has their ears perked towards a career in floral design of any kind, um, what would you recommend as some helpful avenues for further information? I know that you have a podcast that you co-host. Like, I'm assuming that's a good place to start as well. Yeah, so I do. I co-host a podcast um, with my dear friend who started it called um, Botanical Brouhaha. And on that, we interview other florists. Well, actually, it's not specifically just florists. We interview growers and wholesalers. And we interviewed a, a photographer who specializes in shooting floral still lifes and, like, works with florists on how to photograph their work. Like, so we interview a lot of people in the industry. And I do think that's really helpful because we get all their backstories, like how they came to the place that they are similar to what we're doing. Um, but I think the most important thing would be to... Uh, befriend a florist in your community. Follow, find someone who you who you value their work, or whose work you aspire to doing something similar to. Don't copy them; they'll that will make them mad. But um, pro tip, yeah, don't <laughs> but, be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, the way that I started is that I found a girl in Houston who was doing flowers that I thought were insanely beautiful, and it wasn't the way that I was going to design flowers, but it was definitely more my style than you know contemporary floral design from H E B. And I sent her an Instagram message and was like, hey, I'm a florist too. Uh, I just wanted to let you know I love what you do. And if you ever need any help, you don't have to pay me. I'll just come. I just want to come and, you know, see how things work. And she immediately responded and was like, yeah, come over and have tea with me tomorrow. And I showed up at her house and she was like, oh my gosh, it's so nice to have a friend. Here, this is all the things I know. Tell me how it's going for you, which, yeah, is unheard of. Um, Networking at its finest, Maggie. Goodness. No. Talk about doors opening. Um, Yeah. And then she she started referring people to me. So when she would have clients inquire with her and she was already booked for their date, she would say, I'm so sorry, I can't do it. But you should check with this other florist whose work I totally trust and and can recommend. Um, So building a network like that is super important. And that's 100% how I built the first two years of business was referral only we've never advertised we've always only ever been word of mouth and yeah so we we did almost the first two years of business on referrals from other florists who were already booked that we had just made friends with wow yeah 
Sorry. I would also don't be discouraged if you do reach out to somebody in your industry and they are not as friendly as that because yeah. there's, I, I mean, I think a lot has changed in the last six years. It doesn't seem like that long a time, but I think it, I do think it's made a huge difference in terms of like the creative industry and everyone putting their work out on Instagram. And we do now, like I would say on our Instagram, I probably get 10 to 15 people a week who are reaching out to me saying that like, Hey, I love your work. I want to be a florist. What do you recommend? And if I invited all of those people to come and sit and have coffee with me, I would never actually get any work done. So, you know, it's a little different now, but if you can just make one friend in the industry, that's, that's all you need to start. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, excuse me, as I will most likely have to edit out a pause because my brain is just kind of exploding right now with all the applications this wisdom has to so many different career paths, creative or not, yeah. or um, self-employed or not. Yeah. Um, just reach out, be curious, be kind, make friends. Um, don't yeah. You don't have to strategize about exactly what that will do for you. I think that... Um, I'm sure that you could relate to this and this is like the underlying, one of the underlying messages in what you're saying is oftentimes you just need to be kind and be top of mind and you'll do okay. That's yeah. all. <laughs> I 100% believe this. And anytime I'm ever tempted, not tempted, but anytime, you know, in any industry, our industry in Houston, the floral industry in Houston, we're all weirdly friendly. Like everybody gets along. We we socialize outside of work and all kinds of things, which I think is not is not the norm in the floral industry. It, traditionally, the industry has been very kind of cutthroat and competitive because you're, you know, it's one market and you're all selling a similar thing. So, yeah, um, yeah in other markets, they do not have the same kind of camaraderie. But I have found that I, I was part of this organization called the Rising Tide Society yes. many, many moons ago, and they're their line is a rising tide lifts all boats. If one of us is successful, if the floral industry in Houston is successful, then there is enough tide to lift us all. Like, and as long as you're kind and being a good business person and not, you know, setting out to undercut or make anybody mad, you'll be fine. Life is more simple than we make it, I think. Hey there, if you're listening to this episode right now, it's probably because you're somewhere on the range of mildly curious to high-key desperate to find a career path that will be an amazing, rewarding, and exciting fit for you. If indeed you are still holding out hope that that's even possible, which I can assure you is completely possible as I've given dozens of Christians, one, a reformed view of work, from mundane responsibility to actually the joyful gift that it is, two, help identifying their unique calling, and three, the help they need to practically land the job that's aligned with it. If it sounds like a dream to have a tried and true career coach come alongside you to help you confidently discern which career path you're called to pursue amidst the infinite sea of options that are so overwhelming, as well as help you nail all the practicals like networking, resumes, interviews, and negotiations to save you a load of time, stress, and dead-end job applications that are just seemingly such a common experience. They don't have to be. If any of that sounds extremely exciting, then I want to invite you to apply for my deep dive career coaching experience. 
go to my website, kelseykemp.com slash coaching to learn more and book a free 30-minute consultation with me this week to objectively evaluate if this opportunity is the perfect fit to help you work through whatever might be holding you back so you could fulfill the vision and hopes you have for your career. I want to let you know I only work with people who are ready to go deep, do the work, and actually make a change once the path is made clear to them. So if that sounds like you, and if you're serious, and if you're ready to accelerate your path to building a meaningful and impactful career aligned with who God uniquely made you to be and what he put on your heart to do, then go to kelseykemp.com coaching to book a free consultation with me this week and learn more. Okay, now back to the episode. Uh, what are some common misconceptions you have experienced people might hold about the floral design industry? Yeah, so I think the biggest misconception is that people assume that I stand at a workbench and play with flowers all day. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, that's my job. But probably touching flowers is like 20% of what I do. Whoa. Uh, if I had known when I first started my business that, because what I thought I was going to be doing is playing with flowers all day. Makes sense yeah. to you. All you do is play with flowers. No. Um, I spend at least two, sometimes three hours a day on the computer, try, just trying to keep up with client communication and new inquiries and orders and things like that. Um, at, yeah, at least two to three hours a day. Um, our phone rings in the shop constantly. So it's almost every time I answer the phone, it's a customer service based something or other, which I'm grateful for my days at anthropology for training me up and instilling good customer service skills in me. But yeah, I 10 to 15 phone calls a day, just talking people through, they need flowers for their granddaughter or something like that. Um, We have to clean and sanitize everything that a flower has touched every time we use it. So if something, if there's a container that's holding water and holding flowers, once we're done using those flowers, we have to bleach and sanitize every vase, every bucket, every, every anything that got used on flowers because that's where bacteria grows and if you have bacteria growing it'll kill all your flowers so the amount of time we spend cleaning crap is nuts okay i am an active participant in every single one of these misconceptions so this is just so fascinating i mean we this was one of the first jobs that i hired out was bucket cleaning because we use the big like Home Depot buckets when we get all of our flowers in before we're arranging them. And every week they have to be bleached and scrubbed. And we wash maybe 50, 50 to 100 buckets a week. And I hate washing buckets. I hate scrubbing buckets. So yeah, that was literally the first job that I ever hired anybody to do was to come and (laughs) clean my buckets. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you're like outsourcing number one task. Goodbye. Um, And then the other thing is that with weddings, we get a lot of people who assume that the markup is higher if it's a wedding. Like there's this horrible misconception about the wedding industry that, you know, if you order something for a birthday, it'll be $50 cheaper than if you order it for a wedding. I can sit here and tell you, at least in the floral industry, the markup is exactly the same as it is retail, if not less. You get more for your money with a wedding than you do for a a like one-off birthday bouquet. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's so weird that you mentioned it because I literally 
heard that from a friend a couple days ago even she said by the way like if ever you're event planning or wedding planning like what I learned was when you're approaching your caterer your florist your anything just say that you're planning an event don't say that you're planning a wedding because you will get a marked up price and that apparently that's not true (laughs) yeah I don't with flowers it's not the case flowers are expensive a wholesale flower is expensive and the markup for flowers is reasonable and industry standard so everyone is marking up the same amount or they should be they definitely should know better mm-hmm. um but yeah there's no difference between our a retail bouquet if you buy a birthday bouquet from us or a wedding centerpiece but with weddings we're buying in larger quantities and there's always bulk discounts so oftentimes you'll get more flowers for less for a wedding than you do the only thing with weddings is that you do get a markup on labor because I don't know if you've been any weddings where it was remotely DIY, but setting up a wedding takes a lot more time than anyone thinks it's going to. Oh yeah. Yeah. And throw in a mom who's stressed and a maid of honor who's just trying to make sure that things go right. Like it is a lot. So there is a charge for us being on site setting up your wedding flowers, but the flowers themselves totally warranted i've had plenty of rounds as a bridesmaid or a house party person and i yeah mad respect perfectly warranted (laughs) tell me a little bit about your schedule in terms of the hours you work how many weekends out of the year and your busy seasons yeah so you when i started this business i did it intentionally because i was like i just need more free time and i want to be in control of my free time so i want to be able to leave for two weeks at christmas i want to be able to take a a summer vacation in the summer Um, but what they don't tell you is that when you start a business if you're not working you're not making money so in order to be off for a month in the summer and two weeks in the winter we have to figure out where we're gonna how we're gonna work extra in the time that we are working um so our we typically do 50 to 60 weddings a year um we do have we have a minimum that we charge for full service weddings so if you want me to come which i think is a slightly higher than average minimum so when i say this number out loud please if you're planning a wedding do not panic i recognize that this is not necessarily the norm the norm for everybody um but for us to come and set up your wedding at your venue full-blown bouquets ceremony setup centerpieces all the candles everything we charge a minimum of five thousand dollars um and our average bride is spending typically between eight and ten um so we do up to two of those a weekend and whoa yeah i know it's crazy and then we also do pickup weddings so if you did not want to spend five thousand dollars but you still want us to do your wedding we'll design all the flowers have them packed up for you here in the shop and all you have to do is pick them up and set them out yourself so we do usually about one of those a weekend as well um i don't i am not an early bird or a night owl I function best from about nine o'clock till three o'clock in the afternoon, which is not terribly convenient. Uh, So I, when I first started, the norm in the industry is to, sorry, I feel like I'm backtracking a lot, but one of the tricky things with working with a perishable good is that no matter the size of the event or the number of events that you have, you still only have about four days before your product goes from living to dead. So no matter how much work you have to do, you still have to get it done within about five, four or five days. Um, so what a lot of florists will do, especially ones who have home studios, is they'll get their flowers in on Wednesday or Thursday and then just work however long it takes to finish. You know, you can do anything for three days, really. 
if you have to. Um, and I do not work well that way. If it's not done by about five o'clock, six o'clock at night, my, my quality of work is going to go down. My pro productivity is going to go way down. So I employ as many people as I need in order to only have to work between like eight in the morning till five at night. Um, so we get all of our flowers in for the week on a Tuesday. Our shop is closed Sunday, Monday. Flowers arrive on Tuesday. We spend the majority of the day on Tuesday doing what's called processing. So all the flowers get shipped to us out of water. They come in big boxes and we have to kind of like bring them back to life because most of them have been out of water for days, if not weeks, and just what? coolers. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. They keep them in, in like basically big refrigerators that just kind of like, if they freeze, that's bad, but they, the cool stops, stops the aging process. I mean, like anything else, like your cheese in your refrigerator. Mm. Um, so we get them and then we have to give everything a recut, take off any yucky foliage, anything that might cause bacteria to grow in the buckets um, and let them all sit and have a nice drink for 24 hours or so, so that they get rehydrated and are, and are looking good. So Tuesday we process and rehydrate and then we'll prep all of our bases. Wednesday, we'll start whatever design work we need to start. And then we just work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on designing. And then we deliver our events on Saturday or Sunday, depending on what day of the week. And then we start again. <laughs> we wash all our buckets on Monday, even though the shop is closed. So when you say you have a day off and that your shop is closed, it's not really a day off. because That's when all the emails that got ignored for the weekend get answered and all the buckets get washed for the next week. So we've got to be ready for Tuesday morning. Yes. Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm eager to start asking you about what qualities and personality types and skills yeah. you feel are best suited to this job. I'm starting to pick up on needing to be comfortable with a massive amount of coordination and organization because it seems like an insane amount of logistics are involved yeah. in this whole process. There's so many moving parts. Yeah. And especially you as the lead designer and business owner having to coordinate with freelancers um, yeah. or and your customers <laughs> so yeah. many people yes it's so true I guess I'll go ahead and ask you like what what qualities do you feel are important so I think what I also realized early on is that I love the artistic creative side of things but I do not love I'm very interested in the businessy things and I found that I could do either or I could either be focused on like growing the business building the brand watching the finances, doing all of that, or I could be over here making really beautiful flower arrangements, but I can't really have my brain doing both of those things at once. And so very early on, probably within the first year, my husband, um, who's an engineer, he's a mechanical engineer by training, and that's, that's what he, his job was as a mechanical engineer. He kind of stepped in and was like, right, okay, I can help you like just kind of monitor your bank accounts and remind you that you need to email this girl for her final payment for her wedding. And so he kind of, and he helps with, you know, he'd book our U-Haul cause we have to have a truck big enough to move all the flowers and he would coordinate who was going to help pick everything up at the end of the night. Cause we can't just leave everything at the venue. They get mad when you do that. So he kind of jumped in as our logistics guy really early on. Um, also because he was like, well, you now work every weekend, which is kind of what we were trying to avoid when you were working retail. But if I don't come with you and help you, which I can do now that you own your own business, then I will never see you. So he just started coming and being part of the team anyway. Um, and then two and a half years ago, he was like, right, so based on the amount of business you did last year, uh, you can afford to pay me 
to come and work for you instead. And so I can just, he was an operations manager for a steel, a steel business um, as a mechanical engineer. And now he's the operations manager for a floral design business, which is, I think, very similar. Wow. <laughs> that just worked together beautifully. And it could not have been better. And I think a lot of people are, are, they often are like, oh, how's it going? You haven't killed each other yet? Well, no, because we don't, you know, we have our own lanes. He doesn't try to tell me how to design flowers. I don't try to tell him how to book U-Hauls. So, hey, good fences yeah. make good neighbors, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it seems like there's just so many facets of what you would be doing um, in maybe any element of uh, one of the different career paths in floral design. But uh, this is, honestly, when I ask uh, podcast guests this question of what qualities, what type of person do you feel would be best suited to this job? Yeah. It's fairly clear cut. It seems like there could be a lot of different paths here. If you yeah. are comfortable with more of a business role, obviously you could start considering yeah. emulating something of what you have. Um, or are there different considerations you would recommend uh, for if you're like this, maybe you should just consider freelancing or whatnot. Yeah. What advice do you have? Definitely. So I think, especially in the wedding industry, that the customer service orientation is so, so important. Because even if the bride is wrong, if it's her wedding day, she's not wrong. You have to figure it out. And there's almost always, you know, when you're planning a huge event like that, there's always something that you can't account for. So anybody who's successfully navigating the event industry is a person who can think on their toes and who is quick to make, you know, quick to solve problems without getting upset or stressed about them. Because the last thing, if the bride says, well, I thought we were going to do this and you have no idea what she's talking about, you got to be like, oh yeah, totally. We're going to totally do that. And then you just figure it out. But she can't know anything's wrong. None of the other people on your team can know anything's wrong. You just got to figure it out and be chill. So if you are prone to, I I'm not even going to say that because I, I do have a history of anxiety, but I think having a solid understanding of how customer service works and how to be a successful, like sales, not salesperson, but just customer service associate is and super leader. important. Yeah. And I think, I honestly, I think anybody could be successful in this job. You just have to be willing to outsource what you're not good at to acknowledge, you know, Hey, I don't love bookkeeping. I acknowledge that, that I'm not good at it. Here's a, I have a bookkeeper now. That's what we do. And the same thing, you could be an insanely amazing business person and have great ideas for design, but maybe not be the greatest designer or not really love standing behind the workbench designing all day. But if you have the business acumen to run a business, you can hire a designer. That's, you know, it's not a, you don't have to be every part of your business. Oh gosh. Yeah. You're totally speaking to... Yeah the classic entrepreneurial conundrum of starting something up. You have to wear all the hats, but it's you have to be pretty strategic with what it's going to take to transition those hats off as fast as possible so you can have a sustainable business and be sustained as a person too. Yep. <laughs> like you can't keep that up forever. Um, so gosh, it's, I'm just learning so much, even though I don't obviously have a career in floral design, but I'm like, wow, taking notes, taking notes. Um, would love to hear rapid fire of like, what you really enjoy about the job and what, if you could, you would 
say buzz off but you weren't part of this <laughs> yeah um okay what I really love about the job I love that we've kind of transitioned now to a place where our brides don't they don't tell us super specifically what they want they come in with an idea and then because we've worked in most of these spaces and we've you know if you're a bride you're planning one wedding more than likely just one whereas I do three a weekend and I have done for the last seven years almost. So I've done a lot of weddings and I know what's possible at a wedding. And for those brides to now come in and say, I saw what you did at this event. It was magical. What can we do for mine? That's equally as magical and give us the free reign to like come up with these crazy ways to hang flowers from the ceiling or build you a massive freestanding flower column. Like having the creative, the creative freedom to do that is really freaking cool. Um, what I don't love tear down, I hate tearing down events at midnight. Again, I do not function well after six o'clock. Um, that's when I start drinking tea and watching movies. And with weddings, somebody has to go back at midnight and tear down and throw away all of the eight hours worth of work that you did setting it up. I don't like that part at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I hate that part. We have outsourced that. So we've got, we have a team now. <laughs> Who does tear downs? So, in recap, for anyone who is maybe interested in pursuing um, a career in floral design, um, it seems like there's so many things that they could start with. They could start understanding and looking into the different options for how you can work with flowers and get paid for it. <laughs> and um, look into the resources you mentioned, connect with someone one in their area, maybe just volunteer, like see, try it out. Are there any other things that you would recommend someone just start with as baby steps to evaluate? Do I really want to do this? If so, what's my approach? Yeah. I mean, to reiterate, I do think that work like doing a kind of internship or working with a florist as a freelancer is the best possible way to figure out whether or not it's something you want to do. But there's lots and lots of online like tutorials and workshops and things you can take um, to get your to get your hands you know involved in something to begin with um, I don't I wouldn't necessarily as far as I know there aren't any like books about floral there's books on floral design but not about running a floral design business um, yeah I just think talking to people about business because I while I do think that this is a job that anyone who has a desire to do can do I don't I also don't want to sugarcoat it like we work our butts off and it's, it's better because I get to work with my husband. So it's not a matter of not seeing him because I do see him every day, but we work every single weekend unless we choose to take a weekend off. And if we choose to take a weekend off, then that's a week we're not getting a paycheck. So it's, you know, it's a lot and you have to do a lot of flowers in order to, you know, we, we pay two salaries to ourselves and have a mortgage and that's a lot of flowers. So you know, the more you want to do with your life, the more flowers you got to sling. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm curious for all of that hard work and just reality of the situation, what at the end of the day makes this all worth it and look back and say like, well, Maggie, I'm real glad that you followed this intuition <laughs> and tried this out. <laughs> I mean, I actually think that I love, I love every time we have a bride who like cries when she sees her wedding flowers. Like that, 
that really does it for me. But you can't guarantee that that's going to happen every weekend. So that's a little bit stressful. Um, but yeah, when we have someone who is just overjoyed with the beautiful, the beautiful flowers that they didn't know could look like that. I love that so much. Um, one of the things my, my desire has shifted because for the first probably three years of the business, I wasn't sure that this is my full-time gig. This was just what I was doing until I figured out what I was really doing. And then as it turns out, this is what I was really doing. Um, but again, we work so hard and this is a really physical job. And while I love creating art with flowers, I don't know how sustainable long-term the pace that we work at is. Um, so the thing that makes me excited now is that I come to work every day and I work really hard at building a brand that I hope not anytime in the near future, but I hope will be a brand that I can sell at some point down the line so that I can go do whatever it is I'm going to do that isn't going to require me to be at a wedding venue at 12 o'clock at night on a Saturday. <laughs> Word. Wow. You are certainly a mover and a shaker and have some vision and creativity for the art you create with flowers for sure. And I've been so grateful for all the inspiration over the years and the wisdom that I picked up from this podcast. <laughs> Again, even though this podcast series, The Job Library, is all about helping people gain exposure to new career paths that they might not have considered before and then give them a really realistic peek into what would it look like? Am I genuinely a fit for that? At the same time, I and any other listener that's just binging and perusing all these different episodes gets to learn so much from someone who had vision boldness and really applied themselves to the job and has learned so much along the way so thank you so much for transferring so much of that wisdom it's a pleasure thanks for having me if anything about the career path featured in this episode piqued your interest, don't stop here. Take what you've learned, critically examine any follow-up questions you might have, and network to your heart's content to get the answers that you'd like, as well as make meaningful contacts with professionals in that industry that might be able to help you get your foot in the door. If you have a friend who would love all the detailed insider info shared in this episode, don't forget to pass this episode along to them so we could create a network of people who are empowered with the information they need to confidently make satisfying career decisions that allow them to serve in the station in society they were meant for. Thank you to everyone who has supported this labor of love known as the job library by leaving a rating and a written review of this podcast. It sincerely makes all the difference to a budding podcast like this one. If you'd like to support the show, just join in by tapping the stars to leave a really quick rating and better yet, write a few words to leave a written review and subscribe. I hope you enjoy the other bingeable episodes now available to you in the Job Library series and tune in next Tuesday for a fresh batch of interviews with professionals in fascinating, unique, and influential positions. See you soon.